celebrating success, learning from legends, and growing poppies. This is Talk Poppy Talk with Grace Lewis. Kia ora and welcome to Tall Poppy Talk. Today we have Lani Fogelberg. She is a leading business consultant, a coach, an entrepreneur, a keynote speaker, and a success and mindset expert. In 2019, she founded her consulting business and has exponentially grown as a business leader and a personal brand, extending across New Zealand, Australia, Hong Kong, the UK, and more. Lani provides independent practical advice and direction for large-scale businesses to intimate individual coaching. She's a member of the New Zealand Institute of Directors and a qualified financial advice provider in the specialist area of investment. Beyond just business, she hosts a success mindset podcast on track with Lani Fogelberg, and she's been a supercar collector and an ambassador for Growing Tall Poppies for a very long time. Lani, you help ambitious businesses define their objectives and how to achieve them. And you work with the driven people inside those businesses or just inside society. And today I get the pleasure of having you one-on-one on Tall Poppy Talk to share all about your own ambition and drive. So welcome, where and how are you today? Oh, thank you so much for having me, Grace. It's a pleasure to be here and it's been a while coming, just trying to work out our schedule. So I'm glad that we've gotten here today and I'm sitting in my office at home in central Auckland. I love it. Yeah, it's been a while coming, but I've been just so excited following along with the things you've been doing. And I know before we started, started, we were already chatting up a storm. So we've been chatting. (laughs) I, I know we have so much to get into. So before... I kind of hear more about your thoughts. I wanted to step back for a second and ask, how would your friends and family describe you? I know that this was in like the details that you sent me prior to the podcast. And my plan today before we got on the call was to go through and just like plan a couple of answers, which I haven't done because it rained and then the traffic in Auckland stops. So uh, the first word that comes to mind is probably like, the first word that comes to my mind is crazy, but I know that the first word that my friends would say would be smart. My mum would probably say crazy. <laughs> um, but I know, yeah, I know that my like my closest friends, they'd be like, she's really smart. Like, she just is. Uh, and I know that because we had this discussion on Sunday with with some of them. So d- did I need to describe three words or no? Just how well, they describe me. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah so crazy, my mum... Yeah, my friends would probably just say smart and I think other other people would just be like, I don't know, fun. Yeah, a, a good spread of words. Yes, and do you reckon that that's evolved as you've evolved in business and career or was the crazy, clever, just a consistent Lani personality trait since growing up? I think that was probably there growing up a little bit as well (laughs) like I've always been um and there's a whole other like personal stuff that's come to light over the last 12 months around this but I've always been quite different like I remember feeling like I didn't fit in when I was a child um and the school that I went to like my my primary school for example had a uniform but it wasn't compulsory except on like photo day and stuff and my mum kind of let me wear what I want I was always a little bit like fashion forward um so yeah just always a little bit different and out there and always matched the beat of my own drum I suppose for as long as I can remember that hasn't changed (laughs) 
the best people do march to the beat of their own drum and I think if someone says oh you're like not the norm that's an excellent way to be yeah absolutely and I know we'll talk about that especially when I'm wanting to dive into tall poppy and all the work you do in that space but there's so many other things you do as well and so I just can't skip over the fact that you launched your own business off the back of a highly successful career in commercial commercial finance and since you've worked with multi-million dollar businesses around the world it's just it's so significant so could you please talk us through that journey professionally personally from like first stepping foot into the working world to consulting powerhouse organizations like yeah (laughs) what is that I know that's a loaded question but if you could please talk us through that journey yeah I'm happy to it's probably one of the questions that I get asked the most as well and of course I think anything that you live is your normality so it never seems particularly significant or interesting or groundbreaking or um like accomplished because it's just like oh yeah this is my life um and so it doesn't seem very exceptional to me but basically I uh went went through school I was that person at school who like if anyone was going to go to university it would have been me but I didn't and so my first job going out into the workforce in 2007 was like an entry-level receptionist I opened huge bags of mail because we still had mail back then. Like I just did very, very basic entry level things. But um, going out into the workforce, I was still one of those people that was kind of above average, like academically at school as well. So if you'd asked me when I was at intermediate school what I wanted to be when I grew up, I said accountant. So I've always been swayed towards numbers and towards economics and those are subjects that I excelled in in my later years of my schooling so going into the workforce was not um for any reason other than the fact that I couldn't decide what I wanted to do when I went to university I got into all the courses I wanted to get into they were all vastly different everything from like music to engineering and I I I didn't know so I didn't go which my parents are probably very glad I didn't waste their money um (laughs) on a university course that I you know disengaged from or whatever so after about a year working in this relatively entry-level like administrative type job uh, I was made aware actually of a job that was available I think it was like a PA role at the Porsche dealership and my mum was like oh you would love this so I applied for it and I didn't get it but that's when I was like oh it would be quite cool to work in the car industry and I started looking for jobs in the car industry just having grown up in this like petrol head family and I ended up getting a job as a another reception but more like PA and sales support type role for a, a quite a large probably one of Auckland's larger car dealerships or groups and um, they ended up putting me into their finance role ultimately like their finance and insurance manager when I was like I think 20 or 21 And I took to that role kind of like a duck to water because like numbers, it was just very much in my domain. And that was, you know, for no reason really other than, again, like not really having much reason to not go to university apart from just not knowing what I wanted to do. This was just like I'd shown that I was prepared to put the effort in. I was shown that I was prepared to, you know, work extra hours to yeah, to go above and beyond for people to pitch in, to like ask where I could help, to take initiative just to keep myself busy and so those opportunities well that opportunity was afforded to me um 
so that's where I first got my start like in financial services essentially when I was like 20 or 21 and then a couple of years later I was still in that role but there was nowhere nowhere else I could go um, in the business and I'd done well so I just kind of decided to call it quits at that point with no plan as you do when you're 23 or whatever um, so it was during my time off where I did a little bit of contracting and stuff that I got a phone call from what would essentially be my last employer um, over in Australia and I ended up helping set up their businesses here which were in the finance space still uh, first setting up a consumer finance business and then a commercial finance business which I subsequently ran up until four years ago when Fogelberg Consultant was born um, so that's the story there's not that much to it um, but essentially when I resigned from that role people asked me if I could do some consulting for them I had four job offers at the time uh, I turned them all down because I wanted to have like some time off and travel I bucket off to Europe and like typical things that you'd do at age 30 having never done those kinds of things um, had just you know had lots of fun but started doing a bit of consulting in like January 2020 um, yeah just to meet to, to say yes to the people who asked me to basically so that was very much like an accidental business which was never intended to become what it has today <laughs> like, very organic like that that's what I was gonna say like yeah it's awesome when you look back I'm like oh there's linear steps but that wasn't how it played out like you didn't know oh, I'm gonna go from here and correct me if I'm wrong you weren't strategizing like I'll do this then this then this but because of the person and the work ethic you have, you saw opportunities and absolutely maximized them. Oh, 100%. And this is why I say to people, especially people that are like maybe school leavers, and I've got a bonus son who's in seventh form, year 13. So he is off to uni next year. And I talk to him a lot about this stuff. I'm like, what you actually do is not important. It's the way that you approach it. And I think so many young people, or even not so young people, they just get this anxiety and this, this anxious feeling about like, oh, am I making the right decision? Am I doing the right thing? And so it doesn't matter. Just do the thing and just do it well. Because the people that are great leaders and great managers, they see it when people put effort in and are prepared to give value. And they're the ones that they give the opportunities to. So it's like quite simple, but I feel like that's not talked about enough. No, it isn't. And it's also a bigger conversation about like, when you know better, do better. I even think about some of the first guests I had, which was like less than a year ago. And I think about the way I edited them or how I pitched them. And I'm like, oh my goodness, what was I doing? But I'm like, I didn't know. And now I know better. So I do better. Um, and allowing yourself to grow and having those conversations with people. Um, I think, especially like you said, year 13, heading into a potential uni or leaving school, it's like you feel that pressure of, I need to know what I'm doing. No, but just know how you're going to go about the things you're doing. I feel like is that message you're, you're sending there. Mm -hmm. Because like you can, <clears throat> you can think, you can just think yourself into a frenzy and you can you can drag the decision-making process out so long just because you're trying to work out whether or not it's right or best. And it's like, we don't really, we don't really work out what the best decision is by thinking about it. We work out what the best decision is by doing whatever it is. Like just, just picking an option and doing it and just doing your best. 
And if you find out it's not the right decision, you just do something else. Like you do the other thing. Or yeah, I think people just get so caught up um, in this thinking and it, it takes a lot of fun out of life, I think. Yeah, I want to ask a question about that though. Like if someone takes a job or takes an opportunity and they don't love it, do you have any kind of rule of thumb of like how long you should stick at it before you realize like, no, this really isn't for me and I want to pivot? I think I think the context is really important and what you're looking for is really important when you're trying to make that kind of decision. And I did a, a talk recently for a group of um, young women who had been hand-selected in Gilvos NZ to do a school holiday program, essentially, which was around kind of like finance and career, basically, and just like success and what success means and all this kind of thing. And, and to that group of people, I said your career especially if, especially if we're talking about professional decisions here like so you're in a job right and there's a lot of talk about follow your passions and find your purpose and, and all of this and I think again we get very caught up in that being the way that we earn a living and so if you find yourself in a job and you just think like this is not for me this is not the right fit ultimately if that thing is making you miserable and there are potential alternatives you kind of get to a point where you just think, hey, actually life's too short to feel this way and there's just absolutely no way I can see this improving. Like I think it's important to reflect and say, is my behavior affecting this? Can I make this better myself? Or is there just, is this just wrong or uncomfortable or bad in some way? And I don't think you can put a time frame on that. But I do think that you need to ask yourself whether or not your career, the, the place that you earn money is the place that you're going to feel the most fulfilled and passionate and happy I think we get fed this kind of utopia that that has to be the case but there's a lot of fulfillment that you can find outside the place that you put food on your table um so that's kind of a roundabout way of us answering that question but does that does that make sense yes it does I think yeah. it's an important I wanted to hear like hey spend 12 months there but that's not the case you there, can't there, you can't yeah like and because every situation is different and every person is different and if you're in a situation which is fundamentally bad and you've got the option to get yourself out of it then it makes sense to get yourself out of it right but if it's just kind of like oh, okay this is dragging da, da, da. can I compensate for the way that my work makes me feel in other areas of my life because actually it's financially supporting me and so I can tolerate that um is this just completely not conducive like I want to build a career like I want to have a vocation I want to have an area of expertise I've made that decision and this is just not conducive to that so yeah I'm going to change like I think yeah I, I think the context is really important that's so true and yeah that was definitely a selfish question or I'm like <laughs> 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 that is not so I'm gonna I wish it was that simple <laughs> I wish it was that simple uh, yeah I wish it was that simple yeah it'd be great <laughs> um a question I I have that you're a high performer like no doubt qualified certified whatever but high performance I know we often think is like sport olympic I was in the sporting space for a long time and it's almost like synonymous with podium and now that I'm more in the workforce or I'm doing the podcasting, I'm like, oh my goodness, high performance means so many different things. So 
my next question is what does high performance mean to you? High performance to me, and when we, when we look, we take a step back and look at the definition of performance, right? It can be like how well a, a task is carried out or performed. It can be um, the performance of a vehicle, a machine, or a person, right? So it's like about output. And I, I talk about high performance a lot in the keynotes that I deliver. So this is like my jam. But what I often say in those keynotes is that you need to look at high performance as relative high performance because you might say that high performance is up here, but you've got humans here, 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 and here. So it's relative to where the human is at. I, I define high performance as just a level of performance then greater than what you are typically feeling that you're achieving or or perhaps what your peer group would typically you know achieve or sit at so like you're sticking you're sticking out above the average basically or above what's relevant like relevant for you and what's relative to you so true even I remember like in intermediate we had our cross country in school and I thought I was the man like I would get come first or second or third my friends would do so well and we went to inter schools and we were like <laughs> bottom of the pack and I was like excuse me so it, that just made me think it's relative to your environment and your situation like yeah and I was, in my school I was like high performing and then you get to a bigger fishbowl and that adjusts because the context and the environment has changed yeah, if you put yourself like among a group of fit, young, school-aged people and you win a cross-country, which is amazing, by the way. Um, <laughs> I think I hated cross-country, but I love running now, so go figure. Um, but like, yeah, that's that's relative high performance. You've just outperformed everyone else. But then you put that in a professional, you go stand on the start line of the Auckland Marathon and the professional runners complete a marathon in like an hour and a half, like some obscene time, right? an hour and a half or something I can't remember but yeah okay you're not going to be performing at a high level compared to them but you're still performing at a level that is actually you would consider high performance when you look at everyone in kind of your group like in your peer group yes um, so I think it's quite important just to keep that that relativity and that perspective uh, because otherwise it's very easy to fall into the trap of comparing yourself um, inappropriately and causing bad feelings for yourself this segues perfectly into like <laughs> the centerpiece volcano of what I'm so excited to talk to you about and just last month or maybe it was the month prior on your podcast on track you were sharing your concerns about like the vil vilification and bullying people experience from tall poppy syndrome and what I loved was you chose to outline like on your platform to to talk about ways that people can honestly rise above it and not just accept it or not try to combat it, just literally rise above tall poppy syndrome. So my first question, please, is what is tall poppy syndrome in your own words? And then have you experienced it? Yeah, I view tall poppy syndrome as essentially, I mean, use the word bullying. I view it as a form of bullying, but it's when <clears throat> the bully, the bully, the one bullying um is lashing out insulting criticizing um you know 
And also the word criticism is kind of a bit of a funny point here because of course you can have constructive criticism, but let's just say, you know, not constructively, destructively criticizing, um, calling someone a parasitic paper shuffler, for example. Um, people that are, so the bully is bullying, doing one of those things to someone that they view to be that they that they view themselves as lesser against so the bully views themselves as lesser than that person or they view that person as having achieved more than them so it's like there's a disparity driven bullying basically based on perception yeah mm. and could you please touch upon for those who aren't aware when you spoke out about it last year and the whirlwind that has been <laughs> since since that moment yeah, since then I am now known for talking about tall poppy syndrome and the funny thing about it is I in the it was spurred by a LinkedIn post the managing editor of the Herald saw it and asked um, Anne Gibson to reach out to me about it and she's a, you know amazing journalist been around for a long time and the post was expressing my concern about New Zealand losing talent, young talent. Um, and that's obviously vast, right? Like, I'm not just talking about like business talent, talent, full stop. And I mentioned that if I'd known what I know now or then when I was 18, I would have left because of the, can I swear, the shit that you have to endure. <laughs> Um, when you want to try and achieve a relative high performance, right? And so I don't think that post even included the words tall poppy syndrome. I, it might have, but I'm pretty sure it didn't. I'm going to have to check. I'm going to have to double check myself on that. But it was a very, very short post. And it was just like, like, how are we supposed to flourish, basically? Or how we expect, how can we expect young people to, to stay if we show them that they're going to be criticized or cut down if they do X, Y, Z? um if I'd known what I'd known I would have left and then in that post I also mentioned something about hey my job is doing this with businesses but I also feel really pulled to you know do something around the confidence and resilience in our next generation to help them you know combat or, or, or survive that basically um, I just have to figure out a way to do both so that, like that's what the post was and at 6.30 the following morning, like my phone's ringing, my emails, text message from the journalist being like, I don't understand. Can we talk about this? And we had a conversation and I didn't know. I knew it was going to be some kind of article. I didn't really know like the angle that it was going to be. I didn't know when it was coming out. And then I woke up at 5.30 on Saturday morning and I saw myself as the red scrolling bar on the Herald site. And I was like, oh. I had a late night last night. It was a bit much. I was trying to go back to sleep and then I couldn't sleep. <laughs> so I expected, honestly, I expected it to be a bit of a hit job. Um, not because of Anne or anything that she said, but because I know what the media like to do. And I know what generates advertising revenue. <laughs> it's not like, you know, lovely fluffy ducks and, and all that kind of thing. So I personally just assumed, right, I'm going to take a big hit for this, like whatever. Um, and I read it. I've only ever read the article once. I haven't read it again since that day um, because, it, you know, that does have elements. You couldn't fit the whole conversation and it was probably a half hour conversation. Um, so there are elements which were certainly like 
truncated to probably make it sound a little bit more interesting and exciting from a you know reading a point of view um but yeah suddenly I became someone who spoke out about dwarf poppy syndrome just because of that article right which spoke about tall poppy syndrome in its headline um I can't remember where I was going with that apart from just rattling off a big spiel about how that article came about but that, that's how it came about and um I got a lot of backlash or well, they chose to use a photo that their auto like the automotive section had taken of me in a photo shoot a few months prior the driven section of the herald did um, a feature on my car collection and they it's all NZME right so they've got the same like resource library so they used a photo of me with um one of my cars a Ferrari as this picture on the Herald freaking homepage and I was like oh man <laughs> this is gonna just be bad and yeah sure enough all the like all the backlash came um which, which was fine um I'm I'm really happy that they played on they played a lot on like the wealth angle with their article and I'm I'm glad it did because it made it go a little bit viral. It was at the top of the Herald homepage until the middle of the afternoon, that whole Saturday. Um, the comments, as I'm told, were going nuts on Facebook. Um, and so I'm glad they took that angle. It was shit for me in terms of I had to take a massive hit for it and obviously cock all that criticism. But it means it made so many people, Susie Cato messaged me, like so many, so many people started talking about tall poppy syndrome more than I have ever seen it spoken about more than I've ever seen it spoken about um do you want me to keep going <laughs> please yeah please I'm just talking oh my gosh yeah but the um so it made it made people who have far louder voices than me speak up about it which was awesome um and the it was quite ironic the number of very attacking comments off the back of that article because it kind of proved the point it's like oh yeah he's a rich person complaining about something let's just like throw mud at her and it's people get very confused between what's a complaint and what someone's stating a fact I, I, I've never complained once ever in my life about tall poppy syndrome maybe when I was bullied at school but I've never I've never complained about it. I don't because I don't I don't give a shit. <laughs> I don't give a shit about myself. What I give a shit is about the people who take their lives as a result of Tall syndrome and the effect that has on their loved ones, their family, their friends, their communities. Like there is no excuse for a level of bullying that causes someone to have serious mental health issues. And I'm not talking about any kind of label that people might just clutch to, but serious mental health issues. And become suicidal as a result of words that people use against them. It's it's not acceptable for that to be even tolerated in our first fucking world country. It's just so bad. Um, so, and so that's why I talk about it. Um, but as you mentioned earlier about that podcast episode I did recently on it, um, well, I'm not going to change the culture. I'm not going to change the culture in New Zealand, but uh, the next best option in my eyes is sharing stories from my own life and breaking a lot of myths about what success actually is, what financial success is versus success, two very, very different things. Um, and giving people 
knowledge and tips and tools and exercises that they can use themselves or things that they can go and do or conversations that they can go and have so that they can stay on the track that they want to stay on so like they can pursue what they want to pursue not without fear of being like slammed or criticized or questioned but with enough confidence and resilience to deal with that which will inevitably come in Aotearoa so I'm gonna have to get you to say something so I can calm down now (laughs) thank you the first thing I want to emphasize is thank you and I know Etutangata the work they're doing is because it is soul crushing the statistics the lives lost the suicide rates in New Zealand and our young people which then turn into adults which then is the cycle and it goes round and the conversations that need to be had are very much whispered about in a lot of areas I do think there are loud voices who are coming out much like yourself and it sucks that the way it had to get there was by you saying I'm going to take the brunt of it I'm not going to read the comments whatever just happy that it generated a conversation and the work Jay and the Itutangata uh, movement I there's not even a word yeah. to describe they're not just a group or a company they're a movement trying to start in schools and combat immediately like the mindset that kids have before they get kind of dampened by the society that they enter it's like no let's bolster them up and so I just want to say thank you because as much as I try to be super positive and yeah like growing tall poppies (laughs) the actual root of it is like a very frightening thing yeah and it's you mentioned that about you know starting at childhood and I just think that's so important what Jay is doing at Etutangata and one of the reasons I say that I did go back and read some of the Facebook comments on the article a few months ago because I, I wanted to grab some to put in some slides for a keynote that I was delivering and it was really fascinating seeing this some of the stuff that was written um people saying things like oh these uh, I oh, I've heard that her parents owned all the companies that she worked for <laughs> I'm like man my dad was like an engineer who worked for the same firm for 40 years like couldn't be further from the truth um but I stumbled across one comment and so I, I remember everything. Um, I have a very good memory, uh, which is a whole other thing. Um, but there was a parent of a kid that I went to primary school with who wrote some comment about like my family. And I was like, I always felt like messaging her and be like, hey, how's Matthew? <laughs> like, how's, how's your son getting on? What's he up to these days? just because she would probably be petrified at the fact that I actually remembered who she was, the fact she was a parent of a kid that I went to school with, wasn't friends with, just a kid who went to my school. Um, And I'm like, this blows my mind. So she's probably in her, how old am I? She's probably at least in her 50s, right? Um, To have a kid my age, if not 60s or 70s. And like someone of that age is on Facebook speculating about, my family who she doesn't know or never did know like it's it's I can't I couldn't wrap my head around it I could not wrap my head around it Donna if you're watching (laughs) but 
name and shame but but seriously it's like you 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 don't know me and also there is an element of frustration there because it's like all I've ever tried to do in my life is good and it's like I'm never ever gonna like break the law I'm never gonna like I don't know it's you know when you're just a good person you're like it's really hard to wrap your brain around a parent of some kid that you went to school with like trying to start shit about your family it's bizarre and like, I wish I had that much time on my hands. <laughs> well, like, it makes you trolling on Facebook, you know. No, but genuinely, like, uh, shocked, baffled, bamboozled because you're like, this is what you're putting on a public forum for everyone to see yeah. that you're making comments about somebody's family or somebody. What conversations are you having in your house? What conversations are you having to the kids you're raising? Like, that's why tall poppy syndrome is so undoubtedly there. That's not a conversation that we can wrap up or so right now. I did want to comment that when you said you can't change the culture, I disagree because I think Mm. you have had a huge impact in the fact that Jay and you and now me trying to contribute as well. Like one person can have such a, positive ripple effect yeah yeah that's true and to be fair like I've had trolls message me before and be like I'm sorry for the comment that I made like I've realized now after following you that you're actually like a really good person blah 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 blah. and I'm like oh cool man like thank you appreciate that so like yeah I know yeah definitely ripple effect and like if you impact one person that helps of course um but I think it's got to come from the top in the media yeah segue question because yeah. that's uh, all right you know, something that I want to focus on is back to your career right we reflected on your career today have there been like areas or personalities you find yourself gravitating towards more and so my question is like not only do you find yourself gravitating or leaning in certain areas but do you have any personal guiding practices or norms that help you when you're making decisions on what's next I do I do so in terms of like the first part of that question I suppose and the people that I gravitate towards um I tend to gravitate towards people that are um have some kind of unique intelligence or maybe they think a little bit differently or people that are people that are deep thinkers people that are deep thinkers as well I think that's probably a better uh, way of describing it than intelligence so just people that are deep thinkers uh certainly and they're the ones that I can kind of talk with back and forth for hours people that are very open-minded um people who are very self-aware uh that would probably sum it up I would say cats as well um I do gravitate towards cats I love animals um but that yeah so the first part of that question um those kinds of people in terms of my decision making uh, I do a lot of coaching around decision making um, in a business context, but for a lot of people making decisions in a business context, they will also impact their lives outside the business as well. So I always start with making sure that I'm like zoomed out. And I've got a I've got a series of prompts on my wall up here around questions to ask. Is there someone else who could help with this? is there a better way of doing this? Like just to make sure that I'm always zooming out enough and not being too in the finer detail to be able to make a well-balanced decision. But I use like a head heart 
and gut method. So it's it's a little bit scientific, but also it, it just works so damn well. And it's basically making sure that when you make a decision, your head is like when you're thinking through the logic and the rationale, like, does this make sense? You know, what does one plus one equal? Like going through the actual facts, basically. Then you've got your feelings and like the way emotionally that a decision makes you feel like, no, this decision will make me feel bad or as an example. And then you've got um, your gut, like, what is your gut telling you, right? <laughs> what is that? What is that intuition telling you? And it's kind of like a muscle, like the more that you use it, the better you get at relying on it and not being wrong. Um, but the way that I describe it to people is that if you if you only use your head, it puts you at a very, very great risk of making yourself or other people unhappy about a decision. So you end up with like a decision which is not balanced. If you use something which is like, okay, my logic's telling me this, but my gut is like, nah, man. Like you're, you're in that situation, your gut's normally right. And a good way of testing it is if you're having to make like a pros and cons type decision and you list them out and there are more cons than pros, but you still want to do that thing. That's a good way of like sense checking the way that you feel against the rationale. And you're like, actually, I feel so fucking strongly about this. And I just like know in my gut that this is the way to go. Even though on paper, it doesn't make sense. I'm going to do it. So that's personally how I make decisions. I rely very, very heavily on my gut as well. Like very heavily. But that's extremely well practiced <laughs> because I have made a lot of decisions um, over the years. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I know for me, one I'll do is like flick, flip a coin and it's <laughs> also and, good. But no, but it's to your point of the gut. It's like it's not if it lands or heads or tails. When I flip it, if it lands on heads, I'm like, oh, and I feel a sense of disappointment because I wanted tails. I'm like, oh, so that's what I wanted. And I do that mm. for very superficial things like where am I gonna eat? But I was I just, it's very good to deciding what you want to eat. It's like <laughs> My mind says pizza, but my gut says pasta. Like, you know what? Yeah, it's very, it's very good. Like when you're struggling to pick something on a restaurant menu, which I am notorious. I, yeah, just decisions that are not meaningful are very difficult for me to make. Um, I can only make like really big, costly decisions. So not good at choosing basic stuff. But yeah, I know I mean, the flip, flip of the coin. Oh, actually, no, I did want that other thing. Yeah. yeah. You get that gut in your, so that's the point of what does your gut want? If you make that logical pros and cons list and then you find that you're like, oh, there's two pros, but for some reason, the weight of the world exists in those two versus these 20, that's your gut talking to you. Yeah, totally. It works. And when you don't follow your gut, you tend to pretty swiftly or eventually realize like, yeah, there yeah, is a reason you do sometimes you sometimes you need to do that though like I've, I can't think of any examples but I know that I've had things happen in my life where I've been like la, 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 keep doing this keeping doing this you shouldn't be doing that la, 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 la. Uh, okay okay back here <laughs> like so I think and I, I think a big part of that is um learning uh when to trust your gut there's a lot we didn't talk about with but is there anything in this moment on this platform that you feel like was missed and you want to 
speak upon? Um, no, no, I don't, I don't think so. Um, I guess like, you know, for anyone who's listening, who's feeling any kind of like self-doubt as a result of what other people have said to them is to remember that, you know, what's like, generally speaking, if you're of sound mind and you're like a young adult or older, no one knows what's better, like what's good for you better than what you do. And so if they're telling you not to do something, but you know, it's right. They're probably not on your team. Um, yeah, it's probably the biggest thing. So if you've got that conviction and like you want to do something, just go do it. Only live once. Thank you. Now, the fun yeah. little sign-off question. This is so silly compared to the serious things we talk about. I like silly questions. <laughs> silly is my middle name. It's not oh. my middle name, Zara Half, anyway. <laughs> oh, beautiful. I, okay, Lani. So if you had to have just one meal for the rest of your life, so it's not a final meal. It's just like, okay, you only get to have one meal for breakfast, lunch, and dinner forever. What so is it? easy. It's not even a meal, just strawberries. Just a food. <laughs> Just strawberries. Just just give me strawberries. I could literally live off strawberries. They are my favorite food. You might see me wearing a strawberry necklace every now and then. Um, I love strawberries so much. <laughs> I mean, I'm, yeah, I, I know that that's an easy answer, but for a meal. It can be strawberries. Like you're, you're rocking this pink blazer with the red accents. Yeah. Like the yeah, strawberry. Strawberry colors. Yeah. Strawberry theme. Ooh. I do love Japanese food. That's quite the, meal. quite the contrast. Yeah. yeah, but like as a meal, I'm like sushi. But again, does that count as a meal? Like, I don't know. I'd probably get sick of that. I'd probably go back to strawberries. <laughs> They're just so good. And I, I think it's because in New Zealand, it's like the, it's a limited access, right? It's like the, I can't think of the name of the theory, but it's, yeah. The supply. It's like the deprivation. Yeah, like the scarcity creates demand. Scarcity, or... yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's like something to do with the, the limited supply. Like there, there will be, there's some psychological theorem to describe it, but I can't remember the name right now. Um, yeah, because if you, I, I don't know if I would feel differently, you know, like in London, you can get a punnet of strawberries from Portugal for a pound, like all year round. Maybe not now after Brexit, but you know what I mean? I feel like that might take some of the edge off it, but actually I don't know if it would. Lani, if we've learned anything, one, it's a love of strawberries, but the more serious things is there's a lot of tangible takeaways just in this brief conversation you've given me, you've given listeners, and it is really exciting. And I think the work you're doing, not just like in the professional space, but just who you are is awesome. It's infectious. Like talking to you has me amped up. So I just want to thank you because I know you're a very busy person doing a lot of things and to spare the time to talk to me means so much so thank you oh it's my pleasure thanks grace thank you so much for listening to tall poppy talk we'll see you next time feel free to check us out on socials youtube and the website thanks for today's guest